good morning for the second time. Uh, nice to see you. Uh, I understand there's an important rugby game going on at the same time, so thank you for coming. The doors are now locked. Um, so we're continuing our study in John's Gospel. We're in John chapter 2, and the passage today is verse 13 down to the end of the chapter. So I'm just going to read God's word together now. <clears throat> The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and, you, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And I want to read just one verse from Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, and it's uh, verse 7, sorry, it's verse 6. Jesus is speaking here, and he's speaking to the Pharisees, he's speaking to the religious leaders, and he says this in verse 6, he says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the temple is here. May God bless his word. Now let's just uh, remind ourselves of John's purpose in writing his gospel about Jesus. Now I'm going to skip to, to the end, or nearly the end of the book, to chapter 20, to verse 31. Some of you will, will love doing this. You'll get a bit excited when you start reading a book, or perhaps when you start watching a film and you're wondering if it's going to be worth the effort, worth the time, worth the read, worth the watch. Sometimes you skip to the back of the book or you'll Google the film, take a peek at the ending, and then you might decide it's not worth it. It's not worth the, the time. It's not worth the read. Well, I would encourage you that John's gospel is worth the read. It's worth the time. And I would encourage you to read it. And you can get an uncovered John downstairs and you can read it through with someone if that would help you. But I would encourage you to read through John's gospel. 
Now here's what John says at the end of his gospel in chapter 20, verse 31. This is the reason why he wrote this book. He says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John's purpose is pretty clear from that verse. There are two things here. He's writing to tell us, first of all, who Jesus is. He is God. Jesus is God. That we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then secondly, he's telling us something about the nature of what it means to believe in his name. To believe in Jesus. This is not merely an intellectual thing about having an appreciation or a simple understanding of who Jesus is. This is a life-changing, this is a life-surrendering believing. Where Jesus gives you life. New life, spiritual life, divine life. And this is the whole purpose of John's gospel. So we come to our passage today here in chapter 2. And John is absolutely on point. He's bang on message with his purpose. Once again in this passage, Jesus will reveal who he is. And we'll discover something in this passage of what it means to believe. And we'll see that as we go through the passage together. Now you remember chapter 1, that amazing introduction. I'm getting all tangled up here. That amazing introduction to Jesus Christ. John introduces Jesus as the Word. You know, the idea of communication, the idea that God has fully and perfectly expressed himself through Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is God. Later in chapter 1, there is John the Baptist, and he's pointing other people to Jesus Christ, and he introduces Jesus. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an introduction to Jesus. Last week in chapter 2, Jesus performed his first miracle. Or his first sign at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. He turned water into wine. We read in verse 11 of chapter 2. He manifested his glory. Jesus was putting his his glory on display. This sign was pointing to who Jesus is. He is God. Well, in our passage today, we're going to see that Jesus is once again, he's putting his his deity on display. That just means the fact that he is God. Only this time, his display is not at a private wedding. 
This is a very public display. This takes place in the temple courts in the city of Jerusalem. And he's displaying his deity, that Jesus is God. Now here's an important link back to the Old Testament, back to the, to the prophets. Hundreds of years before this episode ever took place, we read the words of the prophet Malachi in his book, in his prophecy, in chapter 3, verse 1. He's speaking to Israel, to the nation of Israel, and we read these words, that the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Well, here he is. Jesus is visiting the, the temple in Jerusalem. This is something that Jesus would have done every year from the age of 12. Think of the significance of what is taking place here. God himself is in the courts of the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus, his own words from Matthew chapter 12, he is effectively declaring, he is saying to them, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. I am greater than the temple. That's what Jesus is declaring. He's saying, I am the temple of God. The, the, the function of the temple is, is fulfilled in me. We go to the, to the very end of the Bible, to uh, Revelation 21, verse 22, and, and thinking of, you know, that future time. And we read these words, I saw no temple in the city, for, the, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the temple. Paul says in Colossians 2, For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You want to meet God? Meet Jesus. You want to know God? Know Jesus. This is why John wrote his gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. So as we look at this passage, I think we see three aspects of the deity of uh, the Lord Jesus here. Kieran, if you could maybe just put the, uh, the next slide up, please. So three aspects of the deity of Jesus. Firstly, his anger. Now that might seem a bit strange, but Jesus is angry here. This isn't gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Jesus is angry. He's angry at what has become of the temple. And then the second aspect, his authority. You know, this is, this is absolutely remarkable what Jesus does here. No one else could have done this, cleansing the temple. And then thirdly, his all-knowingness. And I don't even know if that's a word. But uh, it's his omniscience, that Jesus knows everything. That comes out in this passage. Look at verse 25. 
He needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows. He knows the future. Destroy this temple, I will raise it again. He knows everything. His all-knowingness. Now the stage for this very public display of his deity is uh, the temple at Jerusalem. Now the temple was very much at the center of life in Israel at that time. For the Jew, the, the temple was the dwelling place of God. If you wanted to meet with God, you, you went to the temple and only through the priest. It was the place of worship. It was the place of uh, sacrifice. It was the place of purification, the place of cleansing. It was at the center of religious life. But it was also a place of segregation. Um, the temple was divided into sections, if you were to visit it. First of all, there was the court of the Gentiles, non-Jews, like myself. The, the court that we could wander about in. But if you were to wander in that court, the court of the Gentiles, you would come across a sign, a mobile sign, placed in the court, and it was a warning to Gentiles that they could proceed no further on pain of death. You couldn't go any further. Then there was the, the court of the women. Then there was the court of the Levites. And so you were only allowed to go so far and no further. Access to God was restricted. It, it, was, it was limited. People were kept at a distance. And then right in the center there was the, the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place. And into that, only the high priest and once a year could enter into the, the Holy of Holies. And as for the sacrificial system associated with the temple, well, Scripture reminds us in Hebrews 10 verse 4 that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's why Jesus had come, the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. Hebrews 10 verse 14, Jesus was that once for all time single sacrifice for sin. So this took place in the temple. Furthermore, it was Passover, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. This was the busiest time of the year for the city of Jerusalem. This was the feast that commemorated God's deliverance of Israel out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, all those years ago under the leadership of Moses. You remember the story, the, the ten plagues. And the, the tenth plague, the Lord said he would pass through the land. Every firstborn man and beast would be put to death. And God instructed his people in each house to take a lamb. A little lamb. Without blemish, a pure lamb. And that lamb was to be taken, it was to be killed. And its blood was to be put on the doorposts and the lintel of the door and everyone inside that house sheltering under the blood of the lamb 
was saved. When I see the blood, God said, I will pass over you. Every year, they would remember that occasion. They would celebrate the Passover feast. They would eat lamb together. Lambs would be slaughtered. Lambs would be roasted with fire. They would eat the lamb together. It would remind them of God's great deliverance. Now, Passover time in Jerusalem was something else. Uh, People would travel from all over to come to Jerusalem. Not just uh, traveling within Israel, but from other countries. People would make the pilgrimage. They would travel to Jerusalem to keep the Passover. I read um, maybe an estimated million people, one million people would descend on the city of Jerusalem at Passover time. And listen to this. As many as 250,000 lambs would be sacrificed at Passover time. 250,000. Slaughtered in the temple precincts. The, the Kidron Valley into which the temple drained, the Kidron Brook, would run red with blood. Such was the volume of the blood at Passover time. What a sight. So gruesome. Now into the temple, midst all this hustle and bustle, walks the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. The ultimate Passover lamb. His sacrifice will take away sin. All the blood of those lambs slaughtered, pointing to his blood that will be shed on the cross. You know, I wonder if you, if you ever think of it like this. Jesus, every year, every year from the age of 12, making that same journey up to the temple in Jerusalem to keep the Passover and knowing that he is the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover. Knowing that this lamb speaks about his death. The blood speaks about his blood that would be shed. The lamb that is roasted, he is going to be roasted with the the judgment of God. And every year he keeps the Passover as as a year closer to when Jesus would pass through that. Think, Think of that. Here is the Lamb of God. Here is the Word. Here is God Himself. Jesus coming into the temple. And what does He find? Well, it's no longer God's temple. It's it's their temple. Verse 14, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. It had been turned into a house of trade, a marketplace. You see, all these people uh, coming to the temple, traveling a distance from other countries, they wouldn't be able to to transport their animals for sacrifice. I mean, can you imagine bringing an ox from Italy? If people came from Italy, I don't know, or a lamb from Egypt, wherever. And they would need money too. 
Just like us, we are going to to Italy uh, later on this week. We'll need euros. People would need money. They had to pay the temple tax. The temple tax had to be paid in local coinage because of the, the quantity of silver. They would need to change money. Well, here was a business opportunity right here in the temple courts. The priests, they could provide a one-stop shop offering. They could change money for the travelers and charge them a bit for doing so. They could provide animals for sacrifice. How convenient. They could rent stall space in the temple courts. And all under the control and for the profit of the house of Annas the priest, the high priest. What did Jesus think of this? He was angry. Look at how angry this made Jesus. In verse 15, he made a whip of cords and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, the traders, the animals. Jesus is driving them out. Have you ever tried pushing an ox? I know I haven't. I've been close to a couple of cows in a field. They're big beasts. He took their coins and he poured them out. He overturned their tables. Jesus is furious. Verse 16, he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. He's angry. He's angry. But... This is righteous anger. Jesus is right to be angry here at what's going on. At what men have turned his father's house into. God's house had been turned into a house of trade. This is where God was to be worshipped. And they were worshipping money. Jesus is jealous For God's honor. Jesus says, I tell you something is greater than the temple. I am greater than the temple. This is not what God intended for the temple. This is where God had said he would meet with his people. Where God would dwell. And instead it has become a center of dead, empty religion. Exploited. People are being exploited for gain. And so Jesus declares, a greater than the temple is here. I am God. You want to meet God? Meet me. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, said Jesus. You want to know the dwelling place of God? Here I am. For in him the fullness of God was pleased To dwell, says Paul in Colossians 1. You want to know forgiveness? You want to have your sins dealt with once and for all? Come to me. I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You want to know peace with God? Come to Jesus. You want access, unrestricted access to the presence of God. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, there were supernatural events taking place. 
the sun was darkened. And the veil of that temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. No man could have done that. The way into the presence of God had been opened by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to worship God? Jesus will give you the Holy Spirit. To worship in spirit and in truth. And Jesus brings all who come to him. He brings them into God's family. He makes them children of God. We learned that in chapter 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I am greater than the temple. It's just a picture, you know, of empty religion and ceremony that places burdens on people, that binds people, that that can't change people. Religion has no power. No wonder Jesus is angry. You know, sometimes it's right for Christians to get angry. You know, that's not an excuse for you to have road rage on the way home from church this afternoon. But when God's honor is at stake, when people are exploited, when people are extorted in the name of God, when people who are in need, when people who are are burdened about their sin and they are pointed to an empty and dead ceremony of, of, of religion rather than being pointed to Jesus as the one who can give them life. You see, God wants people to know Him. God wants people to know the richness and the fullness of His blessings. God wants people to know that the relationship that they can have with Him and it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than the temple. Just give me five minutes, very quickly. Now, the second aspect of Christ's deity on display here is his authority. His authority. Passover time, you know, at the temple, thousands of people milling around, the priests, the temple police are there in their hundreds to, to keep order, to quell any, uh, any uh, uprisings or whatever. And here is Jesus, he cleanses the temple, and yet not one person stops him. Can you imagine anyone else trying to do what Jesus did here? This is his authority on display. God himself stands before them in the temple courts. He has the authority of heaven. And it's interesting because as far as they were concerned, the the religious leaders, Jesus had no authority. He wasn't a Levite. He had no jurisdiction. And so they questioned his authority in verse 18. What sign do you show us for doing these things? It's just like people today, you know, refuse to recognize the authority of God in in their lives. Give us a sign of your authority, they said to Jesus. And this brings me to the, to the third and the final aspect of Christ's deity on display, his, his all-knowingness. 
Jesus gives them a sign. It's a, it's a future sign. It's a future fact in verse 19. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. They thought Jesus was referring to the, to the building, to Herod's temple. But Jesus was speaking about himself. Interesting, Jesus didn't correct them. But Jesus was speaking about himself. He was speaking about the temple of his body, verse 21. He's talking about his death. He knows the future. He's all-knowing. He knows he will face death. He knows that he will rise from the dead. This is the authority of Christ once again on display. Chapter 10 in John's Gospel. Jesus said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Now let me just move to the, to the last few verses, verses 23 to 25, and the passage ends rather sadly, actually. We read this in verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Sounds positive, many believed. But wait a minute. This isn't true belief. Listen to John's commentary in verse 24. John says, But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. What does that mean? Well, the word entrust is the same word as believe. They believed in his name, these people, but Jesus wasn't believing in them. Jesus didn't have faith in their faith because their faith wasn't real. Their faith was very superficial. It wasn't deep. It wasn't life-changing faith. It was an intellectual understanding. And they were not prepared to follow Jesus because Jesus knew all people. Jesus knows. And needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus is greater than the temple. Jesus knows your heart. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? He is greater than the temple. May God bless his word. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we want to come before you with our hearts full of worship for Jesus. Thank you that he is greater than than the temple. Thank you that he is the Lamb of God. Thank you that he came to take away the sin of the world. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would change lives here in this audience. We pray that you would fill our vision with the glory of Jesus Christ. And so we just ask these things now in his name. Amen.